0: All the way from across the room,
1: and uh, we're socially distanced, but we're still uh, we're still making it work. We got to take a picture of this for the podcast. I'll I know. <laughs> <laughs> I <don't care. laughs> socially
0: distanced podcasting. You know, if we would have ever just figured out how to like record virtually. We would have yeah, or over like a Zoom meeting or something. It's Art. actually
2: very easy. <laughs> <laughs> We've never help
1: how to do it, and we were like, no, it just it doesn't work. I don't know. What do you, do you guys use a program or? or...
2: Uh, no, we just use Audacity, mm-hmm. which is the same that y'all use. Mm-hmm. and we just have a mixer. So what we do is we take a laptop, and the laptop becomes one of the microphones. So you plug in the three point five mm. jack. Audio from the laptop to the mixer, and it's like microphone number three, and that's how we do it.
0: So you just need an extra laptop, yeah. And then Uh then
1: they call over the 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 Zoom over the
2: Zoom. Yeah, we use Zoom.
1: uh, All the research that I've done on trying to figure out, nobody's ever said that. Nobody's ever said Uh, just plug the mixer into the laptop. Like I looked at like other things that people were doing. And, you know, people are like holding, I told Paul, was like, well, we can just hold the phone up to it. He's like, absolutely not. No, yeah, that, that would yeah. So what
2: you do is, is that you, you can have an audio out from the laptop. Your audio out is the same as an audio out on a microphone. Yeah. So you plug your laptop into the mixer as if it was a microphone.
0: Oh, Wow, well, well,
2: that's it. That was, <laughs> that was it. That was it. Now, Thank you for coming all the way over here and
1: socially distancing <laughs> to explain that to us. <laughs> she should, should have just call, had her call us and then walk us through it.
2: <laughs> I could have, but also I live down the street. It took me yeah. two minutes to get here. It's true. You're so It took close. me half an hour to shower, but yeah.
0: <laughs> two minutes to get and here. I
2: don't think
1: we've seen you in over a year because I think it was before June of last year, right? I think or it was yeah. June of last did year, Did you right? ever
0: record here or did we record?
2: Yeah, we, we recorded, recorded upstairs. upstairs.
1: We had the orange room. Before the kids took it, yeah, mm-hmm.
2: and then we record uh, the first time we recorded at your place, yep. and then we recorded the living room that's yeah. now
0: full of new furniture.
2: Yeah, Yay, new furniture.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's not the the stiff chair or the yeah. the, oh. the couch. Oh yeah, yeah I remember yeah,
1: that. They have, they have like they have real furniture in their <laughs> thing now. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, Fun. um, also we have David here who's just quietly sitting in the corner. Hi.
3: Um, <laughs> I probably got to come in a little bit. I'm more of a silent observer.
1: David, is this your, your first time on the Your Queer Story podcast? It is. Yeah. Well, I've
0: kept him away. I was like, everybody <laughs> thinks that Paul's
1: been making David up. See, Samantha's <laughs> been on the podcast a couple times, but we talk about David all the time and people are like, sure, I'm sure there's a David.
0: Mm-hmm. Paul's asked me. Well, yeah.
3: Usually, he leaves too early. I'm not a morning person, <laughs> so he gets out of bed and he's like, come on down. And I'm like, mm-mm.
0: And we also record on Saturdays and you work on Saturdays, so. Yeah. yeah. A lot of conflicts,
1: but you know what? in the middle of a pandemic, we were able to all come together, so i I think that's something. so welcome back, patrons. I don't our and listeners, Paul said patrons. I don't know what we heard and what we didn't hear in the um if anything's muffled in the background we are. there's four people on this podcast today, and we are socially distanced or at least Vema is socially distanced. <laughs> Me, Paul, and David are very much not, but we've been around each other, so we're fine.
0: We're part of our pod.
2: You have your pod. (laughs) I have a different pod. So I'm hiding in the corner of the basement. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) That's not creepy. (laughs) I promise. (laughs) She
0: literally
1: is in the back with like half of a treadmill behind her because I still not have gotten the second half of the treadmill. (laughs) It's fine. Um, But yeah, but welcome to your queer story.
0: Uh, The podcast that inspires peace, love, and radicalism.
1: So before we uh, dive into bisexual visibility, um, how has everybody been? And um, I don't know, what are your fall plans or like, how are you surviving COVID? I mean, me and Paul have talked a lot about it, but you two haven't.
0: Mm -hmm. So what are your fall plans for our house? Since (laughs) you're you're the decorator.
3: My (laughs) fall plans are to have a lot of fires, you know, still continue to distance and be safe and... Make sure that I'm keeping my family healthy and uh, hopefully get to a point where we're able to spend Thanksgiving with our families and hopefully if everyone keeps socially distancing and being safe, we're able to have some sort of holiday this year, I hope.
0: Yeah, something. Yeah.
3: Yeah, give me something to look forward to besides, uh, you know, having little fires in my backyard and uh,
0: watching endless amounts of Netflix and Hulu. Oh, yeah, and HBO. We we recently got HBO uh, because it was like 15 extra dollars a month, and they have a lot of really good series. That's good. Breaks (laughs)
1: where we're passing the microphone back
0: (laughs) a while. What about
1: you, Vima? I know you all started camping again.
2: We started camping again in August, so we lost about three quarters of our season, but we have one trip left. We're going to Maine in um, Indigenous Day. Oh, okay. um, taking yeah. that long weekend uh, camping is inherently social distance so we're good there um, so we haven't been recording our camping podcast because we haven't been camping yeah. which is sad but we are just keeping each other safe and sane more sane than safe <laughs> sometimes <laughs> um, and I was recently I seen this past January, I joined the board of the CSPH, which is the, the Center for Sexual Pleasure and Health. Um, so I'm going to plug it in because mm-hmm. I can. Um, so the mission of the CSPH is to advance culturally inclusive, medically accurate, and pleasure-informed sexually sexuality education, therapy, and professional training. We provide the sex education you deserve. And if you would like to join and donate to us, you can find us at thecsph.org. And that's my plug.
1: (laughs) All right. And that's a great plug. I mean, it's a a great organization around here. They do a lot of good. Um, And um, our friend Katie, who's been on the podcast, too, she's volunteered for there before. So it's a really great plug. And I'm glad that we finally got to have you back on the show, even though it's taken a year and a pandemic. But... This might be the last year we ever get to record Who knows what happens with the country So it's good to have
2: (laughs) you We'll be an underground podcast We'll record record from the underground, that's fine (laughs) Everything's fine, nothing's on fire Not yet (laughs) Metaphorically, there are things on fire We're good, we're good I love that
3: they include pleasure in the name Like you can have your cake and eat it, too.
2: It's it's very important. Part of your sexuality includes pleasure. Absolutely. If you're not having pleasure, then <laughs> what are you doing? That's um, the
0: point of it. Well, not the only point. but That's not the only point, but that's, the, the, point. Point, but that's <laughs> the
2: point. Like having a, a healthy sexual relationship with yourself is very important. And that includes your pleasure. And that's the mission of the center to make sure that that message is spread across especially to communities that are historically underrepresented or historically oppressed we bring that message along um, we bring education we used to do uh college tours uh bringing sets education to college kids uh college adult ador- adults obviously that's put on pause yeah. because of covid but now we're doing um what do you call them webcast web webinars webinars that's the word i was looking for uh we're doing webinars uh different topics we had last last week or this past week uh, we had a topic on pleasure and disability which was excellent we had another one about exploring your own pleasure a couple months back uh, that was by our board chair justin hopefully she's listening um, <laughs> and we have a couple more coming down the pipeline. Um, also, if anyone listening is an educator in the sets and relationship realm, we have an open uh, request for proposal that you can submit your request to be one of our webinar teachers, educators. So uh, just submit your application. And if you are not an educator, go donate.
1: We need the money. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. And, and that's and that's really great. Um, where And so where can they go to submit their um, proposal?
2: You can find it at the thecsph.org or you can also find it on social media. We are the CSPH on both Instagram and Facebook and anything else you can think of. Um, so we all have the links um, there. We'll put a link
0: in the script on the website too. Awesome. To make it easily clickable.
2: Yep. Yeah. And then you can find also the webinars if you want to sign up for it. Um, and learn more on the upcoming ones you can sign up for that too Um, so it's a lot of fun
1: all right and are those webinars free to the public they're on a
2: pay scale Um, so we have a sliding scale because the educators need to be paid Mm -hmm. and paid fairly and we use that money to pay the educator Uh, but you pay what you can okay
1: Okay, and I think that's really fantastic because you're right. They Absolutely, they need to be paid. But then it also makes it accessible to other people. So that's good. Um, all right, then to plug our stuff real quick, we'll just say... Um,
0: like, like, subscribe, download, review wherever you listen. If you listen on Spotify, that's not really possible. So if you can't leave a review on iTunes or Google Podcasts, just send us a tweet. We love to retweet all of the nice comments that people leave. And
1: um, make sure that you check out our Patreon. I did get some more videos up there. Now that my kids are in school, I have time to load stuff on there again. So we have extra content for our Patreons. If you would like a sample of what you can get, we do have some free content. So you can check out that free content, see if you would like it. But your uh, donations support the podcast. It supports the Queer Digest uh, website. And... It also supports um, our support group that we host every week on Fridays. I know it's been all over the place. I set the mm-hmm. line. It's Fridays at 3 f- until the end of the year, and then I'll reevaluate. And you know who also didn't get to plug his stuff is David, so I think he should get to plug. Oh, yeah. You, you know,
0: plug any anything? Well,
3: um, since it's my first time here, I should let you guys all know that I am a drag queen. Um, I'm Kelly Square. I'm a local Providence drag queen. Um, I've done lots of charity events for the community, worked a lot with um, ACOS. Oh, my God, I couldn't think of the acronym. I'm like, yeah, I've worked a lot with ACOS, fundraising. Um, I've done a lot of sexual um, education through drag at colleges in the area. And I'm going to continue to hopefully do some stuff as soon as things kind of go back to normal.
0: Our episode today will first air on Bisexual Visibility Day, so we want to wish all of our favorite bisexuals a proud and happy Day of Visibility. In honor of both Latin History Month and Bisexual Visibility, we have invited Vima Manfredo, our favorite bisexual Latina, and uh, my wonderful, proud gay husband, almost, David, (laughs) to join (laughs) us today before we get to the story of the incredible Joan Baez. Is that how you say it? Baez. Uh, We are going to have a brief discussion around the usage of the term Latinx.
1: So, and I'll I'll read it, but uh, basically I saw something on Facebook, and obviously, I guess, you know, because I'm not, you know, um, I'm not Latin. Latin is, I see, whatever. Um, But obviously because I'm not Latino, I don't get involved in these conversations as much. So I saw this and I just wanted to make sure on the podcast we were using the proper term. So an ongoing discussion around the growing popularity of the term term Latinx has created division in the Latin-Hispanic communities in the last few years, with a current viral Facebook post by user James Lee furthering the contention. A summary of his points are as follows. The goal of the X in Latin X is to remove gender, i.e. not Latino or Latina, but it presents problems when you're speaking Spanish because it is an English idea. Luckily, the Spanish language already has a gender neutral term, the letter E. The letter E can be exchanged for a gendered word ending in an A or an O in the Spanish language, and it works wonderfully. Latina works. Am I saying that right, Vima? Latine. Latine works. In my experience, Latina Latinx took off like a rocket over the last few years. It knows part because of the political class, which we know is largely white-led, but it doesn't accomplish what Latine does.
0: Latinx was easy to understand and popular because of of its association with LGBTQ equality, but it doesn't really focus on Latino and Hispanic culture the way the gender-neutral term Latine does. Latinx has been used and accepted widely by non-Latino Hispanic communities in an effort to be inclusive. I appreciate it, but it's felt like something more so used by outsiders. On the other hand, Latine has been adopted and used more widely in Spanish-speaking countries. If we give preference to Latinx simply because it caught on faster than Latine, we ignore the conflicts it has with the Spanish language, we lose the potential for its true intentions, and we leave behind the people in our community who can't speak English.
3: Oh, I have a lot of opinions about the use of this term. Oh, um, God, yes. How do you <laughs> feel about it, Mima?
2: So, my first issue is that the the this post in particular equates Hispanic with Latin or Latinx, Latino, Latina, Latine, they're not the same. Hispanic is a person that speaks Spanish, that that was their mother tongue. So that includes most of Latin America and Spain, but not all of Latin America. A Latinx, Latino, Latina, Latin person is a person from Latin America. That includes non-Spanish speakers. So for example, Brazilians, Haitians, Jamaicans, Belizeans are all Latinos, Latinettes, but they're not Hispanic. So the whole argument about eliminates and the people that don't speak English is kind of true, but it doesn't paint the whole picture. Because people are using Latinettes because they're Latinettes. They're not using Latinettes because they're Hispanic. You can be both, but you're, you don't necessarily have to be either. So that's one of the biggest issues. The other issue is neither one is technically correct in the Spanish language. The Real Academia Española, the the real Spanish academy, which is the governing body that oversees the Spanish language, actually came out and said you cannot use Latinas. You cannot modify Latino and Latina to represent the gender neutral. Our words are are gendered and that is the sad reality. And technically, neither one is correct, but that doesn't mean we can't use them. It You should be able to use the one that you associate with yourself a lot more. In my case, I use Latina for me because I identify as a woman and I am from a Latin country. Nation, not country. Uh, that's a different issue altogether. <laughs> but... <clears throat> If I'm talking about the whole community, if I'm talking in English, I will say latinettes If I'm talking in Spanish, I still revert back to saying Latina or Latino. Latino technically is the gender neutral because Spanish language is very masculine centric. So all gender neutral terms are actually the same ones that you use for the masculine term. So the post, the problem that I have with the post is that he's splitting hairs of uh, something that is really not, in my opinion, not that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things. You use Latine, everybody in the English-speaking or non-Spanish-speaking world will have trouble pronouncing that because Mm -hmm. Latine is relying on Spanish. But not every Latinx person speaks Spanish by either growing up in the States or being from a country that doesn't speak Spanish to begin with. So why not use what already took off it's not like we're using a slur word and trying to convert it back like some folks have a problem with the word queer especially older queers mm-hmm.
0: That was that's different
2: something. that's completely different and i understand why we need to get carefully with that word but latine is very Spanish centric and not every Latinx person is a Spanish speaker Mm -hmm. from their country or if they grew up in the States. I have cousins and aunts and uncles that do not speak any Spanish and they're from Puerto Rico, but they grew up in the States. So they didn't learn the the Spanish language. And if you have someone from Belize, they speak English. If you have someone from Haiti, they speak Creole. If you have someone from Jamaica, they speak English. And 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 some Creole.
3: (laughs) That's kind of like where I come in, like where my opinion comes in on this. Like, I feel like Latin, Latina, Latino, Latinx. I feel like it's not a great descriptor. Personally, I think that it encompasses too many different cultures because there's such a broad array of cultures that are included in that term. And we're talking about visibility. When I can, I like to use a more particular descriptor to identify the background or the culture of the person I'm speaking about to kind of paint a clearer picture, if that makes any sense.
2: Yeah. If you're talking about a person that is Mexican, you call them Mexican. If yeah. you're talking about a person that is from Argentina, you call them Argentinian. Um mm-hmm. I try not to say that word because I can't pronounce words (laughs) as we know, but yeah, you try to be more specific. Mm -hmm. If you're talking about a person that identifies as a Latinx person in the States, but they're family so mixed in that they don't pinpoint where they're from, then I'll use the word Latinx. Yeah. I'll actually use the word that the person wants me to use, which is the ultimate rule in the queer community. Kind of
0: how it should work. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: You want me to call you this way? I will respect that and call you that way. But going Latine, it really kind of erases every other Latinx country that doesn't speak Spanish. And that's my biggest issue with it, because we always forget... There's about 10 countries in Latin America that don't speak Spanish. And there was another comment on that Facebook post that was very interesting, talking about how both English and Spanish are colonizer languages. So, are we really honoring our ancestry and honoring our history by trying to uphold the rules of the colonizer language that has been around for 500 years? But we had many of these countries had a rich history before colonizing times the mayans Mayans and the incas and the aztecs were there and they had a rich culture and they brought so much to to the world that the world doesn't understand that came from those civilizations that are still around most of them so are we really going to fight over how correct is Spanish?
1: It's like which colonizers thing is better. Basically. Yeah. Basically, yeah,
0: at the end of when the really night. they were both
2: <laughs> awful. Yeah, Like there's a reason why we've been trying to change the Columbus holiday to indigenous people holiday. Yeah, Because Columbus was a son of a bitch.
0: So why are we trying to
2: worry about the real Spanish Academy way of war- talking if we're really trying to modify the language? What people like to identify as is the best way to use it. And Latinets took off like fire. Not to mention fire once again, but <laughs> Latinets took off. And maybe in Spanish it doesn't sound that great. But at the same time, if it's giving visibility to someone that didn't have it before, why am I going to shut it down?
3: Exactly. It's, it's used by, it, I find that term is mostly used by white english-speaking people like everyone that i know that is spanish speaking does just use the masculine form for the most part i I would say as a whole just uses latino
2: yeah and technically speaking if we want to go by the royal spanish academy that is the correct way to go gender neutral is to use the masculine version of the word when you have amigas and amigos you say amigos because that is inclusive, supposedly. And I'm using air quotes and no one can see it. Mm-hmm. Um,
3: Same thing with, with kids, niños.
2: Right. It's niños, it's amigos, it's extraños. O mm-hmm. is it, oh, actually also the general logical version. It's just, it's also the masculine version. And that's how the, the language works. Do I wish I could change this? Absolutely. Are we going to change it in our timeline? Absolutely not. Right. There's <laughs> way too many. Folks that speak Spanish in different ways, that is there's no way to change it. We can't even agree on whether or not usted and tenga are the correct words. Because there are some countries that use different way of saying they say um instead of haber or something like that. Um so in Uruguay and in, in Argentina and Spain, they use a different tense for possessiveness that is different than the rest of latin america the rest of this hispanic culture
3: and if you're puerto rican it just really doesn't matter Uh, if you're puerto rican (laughs) doesn't matter
2: we have a different way of speaking and it's completely spanglish because we have so much influence from the u.s yeah so we're splitting hairs and we're fighting a fight that is not worth fighting Is my point on that Mm -hmm. i agree
0: with that that was very insightful
1: I also think my my next paragraph is uh, so. This is just me writing based off of what I you know I found. So I found a poll on it, and so but I, I agree with both of you. And and my main point in this paragraph was to make sure that people listen to the communities because what I do find and what I do want to be careful of is that we're not just following what organizations are doing. Like if a large organization like the HRC, which great the Human Rights Campaign, but like if they're coining terms is that what the community wants the term to be? So that was that was my thing. But, you know, the Washington Post released a poll in August of this year that showed that less than 23% of Latin Americans had ever even heard of the term Latinx, let alone used it as an identifier. And even though 42% of millennials polled had heard of the term, it still is not the dominant preference. Mark Hugo Lopez, a director of Pew Research, explained the demographic of those most likely to use Latinx are younger people, college-educated, College, educated Hispanics, and notably young Hispanic women were the ones most likely to use that term Latinx as to describe their identity. Whatever the outcome of this debate over the next few months or years, it is important for white and non-Latin queer people to listen to the communities and not necessarily the organizations that coin these terms. We must keep the best interests of our people as a whole above the interests of entities and businesses. But I, I think you're absolutely right, David and Vima of just, I mean, you like you said, it's like kind of like splitting hairs. And I really love the point you made about how um, there's so many Latin countries that don't speak Spanish. And what does that say? You know, and, and, and what about them? And then um, also, even the term Hispanics, I know a lot of people have kind of shied away from that because that does have like colonial ties. But I don't know if that's just another um, another argument that's kind of splitting hairs or or what it is because like again all of latin america was colonized so there's a lot of terminology in there that links back to that
2: oh yeah and the most important part is recognize that these are we're talking about what 45 i i am terrible at geography but 45 50 different countries with 45 or 50 different cultures some are very similar to each other like Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico, they have very similar culture because we're neighbors. But the culture in Puerto Rico is very different than the culture in El Salvador. We have some local language that is not used by anybody else. So we, for me, Latinx grew in the United States and it grew to identify a group of people in the United States that are of descendancy that is Latina But that doesn't mean that it's exclusionary. It just means... And we shouldn't also forget about all these generations of Latinx people that grew up in the States. Because there's a bunch of them. So the fact that it's more used in the United States than Latin America doesn't really mean that they don't want it. It just means it's just more popular in this area. Because there's more English speaking. It sounds more fluidly in English, and there's a lot of rich history that is Latinx within the United States, so it makes sense for this group of people to be the ones that coined the term. Maybe each country has its own term, and we don't know about it because we don't live there.
3: It was very interesting to see the comment about, like, it's mostly used by college-educated young Hispanic people because, like, I'm from a small town that's very Hispanic, and most people from my hometown aren't college educated. So it's so weird to now live near a city um, with like a population that is educated and just see the different ways that people think about stuff like this, because in my local community, this is a conversation that would probably never happen.
2: Yeah, exactly. Um,
3: pe- people aren't talking about stuff like this. People in, in and educa- in educated people and people in cities are the people who are actually discussing things like this. These conversations aren't happening on a... I'm sure they're happening, but not on this kind of scale in these small communities. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. I agree with that. I agree with that, absolutely. Well... Um, So thank you both for commenting on that and explaining that further, especially for me and Paul who can't uh, even say Latine. (laughs) I know.
0: (laughs) Well, that was another point I was going to make because you were both talking about how it's just as easier in the English language, Latinx. And I'm like, I I can just see every um, like middle-aged white woman, Latine, like it. Right. The the Latine. Yeah. Yeah. Just like no understanding of. the the spanish language at all
2: yeah and the fact that the word came from the united states and it's mostly used in the united states doesn't mean it's a bad thing Mm -hmm. because how many people are of latin descent or Latinx descent in the united states a ton so why are we going to say oh it's just the united states so we shouldn't talk about it or we shouldn't use it like we have lots of folks that have been around here for ages, and they're of Latina ancestry, and they're using Latinx because that's how they identify.
3: Aren't we the biggest up and coming population in the United States right now? Like the like the projection for like fifty years from now. Oh yeah, I I, I saw something on something like that where. It, we were going to be not a minority anymore. We were going to be the majority in the United States.
2: If you group all different Latinx cultures together, absolutely. Yeah. Because yeah. you have people that live in the south, um, not not the Bible Belt, but the other south, um, Texas <laughs> and yeah. westward. Uh, they have a lot of rich Mexican ancestry because that land was Mexican to begin with until... Um, Someone stole it. and We would never do that. Right, I'm just going to let
0: you know. We've never stolen anything. Exactly. And then you have like
2: Florida and the panhandle that has a lot of people that come from the Caribbean and a lot of people that come from Mexico as well. And then you come into the Northeast and you have a lot of people that migrated from the Caribbean um, into Connecticut, New York, um, Boston area, that, that whole belt there. You have a lot of Latinx people from, that have been there for a couple of generations now i know my family has been in the new york connecticut area for three generations now and we're still latinettes yeah in some way or another Uh, my parents were born in new york but their parents were born in puerto rico and i was born in puerto rico so they kept going back and forth Uh, and that's the story of a lot of people in the spanish community in new york and connecticut and boston where we're still very much tied to our country nation and our community but we have been living in the state forever so Mm -hmm. if we want to use a word because it identifies us and it flows with the language that we use most often then who am i to judge it
1: and I, and I think, and that's a good point of very much about how they go back and forth, people go back and forth, especially here, because you know, it's not like, uh, in, in other, other, like, uh, if a person immigrates from Mexico, it's not like if a person immigrates from across the sea, you know, you can, you know, cross the border and go back and forth. And so I think that shows like that closer tie it's, it's much more mixed. And then of course, like you said, when you factor in the Southwest and you factor in Texas. And all those, um, those centuries of ancestry that were wiped away, that were stolen. But those people were still there. And, you know, so there's still those ties. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. So speaking of those who fought for the people above corporate and government issues, today we cover the notorious Joan Baez. Baez was a singer and activist who famously came out as bisexual in a 1972 interview. Born on Staten Island in 1941, Joan Chandos Baez was the daughter of two immigrants her father Albert Bias was born in Mexico yet he spent most of his life in America while her mother Joan Chandos was had immigrated from Edinburgh Scotland it is possible that Joan's parents bonded over the fact that they were both PKs preachers kids Chando's father was an Anglican minister, and Baez's father was a Methodist preacher who served and advocated for the Spanish-speaking communities of New York. The religious ties didn't stick for the young couple who converted to Quakerism when Joan was a child. However, the roots of activism ran deep in the Baez family.
0: The Quakers. (laughs) The
1: Quakers. (laughs) They're coming to steal everybody.
0: (laughs) Growing up as a Latina in New York during the 40s and 50s was hard on Joan, who faced daily discrimination. She was only two years old when the Zoot Suit riots had erupted in Los Angeles in 1943. Zoot suits were wide legged, tight cuffed pants covered by a long coat with wide la- lapels. 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 I told you I can't read. I'm like, labels? It was a popular style in Afro and Latin American communities, which sparked the racist rumors that zoot suitors were murderous and untrustworthy. The harassment over the outfits finally led to a six-day riot that included white American soldiers running through the streets, beating men, teens, and children in zoot suits and stripping them of their clothing. The unrest sparked other riots, specifically against Latin Americans in at least six other cities that summer of 43.
1: So zoot suits were like really. Um, I'm, I'm going to be honest. They were very much a, a fashion crime, I guess. But that they were they were mostly worn in Latin communities. But they were also worn in like the Filipino communities, Afro American communities. So it was, but it was just this this ties to like your what you're wearing your apparel is tied to um our mistreatment of you and are you looking it up david I am. yeah i yeah, am too. The, <laughs> i
2: should have put a picture in there um i love Zoot suits. if anyone <laughs> wants to imagine it a very bad example but it's an example nonetheless is the jim carrey costume in the mask that's while he was yeah. wearing the mask Yeah, I that is Zoot inspired by the suit suit <laughs> um It's just this very wide pants with oversized coat. Um, But thinking about being discriminated against by what you're wearing, our Black communities live through that Mm -hmm. and have lived through that so much to to... pull up your
1: pants laws that are in place even in some places today where you know if your pants are below your your ass and they can see your underwear that's against the law but really it's only targeted towards black people yeah
2: exactly so we still have it so people shouldn't not be surprised that that happened because it's still happening
1: i can get it yeah Mm -hmm.
2: i agree um, but
1: I, I had never heard of the Zoot Suit Riots, and actually they sparked a lot of other riots because it wasn't about clothes, and everybody knew that. And that's the thing about riots like it's this. It's just a
0: way to, oh, no, we did it because of this. there's right. just... The clothes, we didn't like them. And and it's such a weird, (laughs)
1: dumb thing, too, because there was nothing about the zoot suits. Like, I don't even know how they rationalized that they were wrong because they were high-waisted. You're completely covered from head to toe, like in a long coat. I think
0: it was, I, I heard something about it, and I think it had something to do with the fact that the women were in pants if they were in the zoot suit. And they were like, you shouldn't be in pants. I don't know. But the
1: guys, they were, it was the guys that they were beating and literally running through the streets and like children as r- young as 10 years old in these zoot suits, beating them and stripping them from their, uh, you know, stripping them out of their clothes. They're sitting there in their underwear and you can see pictures of this and they're like, this is the better way obviously <laughs> you should be sitting here in your underwear.
3: And like, it's just proof that clothing is such a social construct. Like. Mm people are going to find any way to vilify something that they can. If they want to make, if they want to have power over you, they're going to find a way to take that power. And clothing has been used to do that for so long. And that's kind of what I love about drag in general is like, you're kind of taking back the power to wear whatever the fuck you want without any laws or restrictions. And I never felt that way. Like I was always forced to do masculine things and wear masculine things. And, even I wasn't just in. It wasn't just enforced in the home It was enforced in public at School and the Media Yeah everything you do So it's really just another example Of things that are still going on today
2: Yeah and the reason why they target the suit suits Is because they were so, pop, so popular In the Latin community So it was a very easy way to identify Someone that's Latinx Because mm-hmm. they're wearing a suit suit It became so ingrained on oh, you're wearing a suit suit, then you must be Latinettes. So you must be a bad person, so I'm going to beat you up. Yeah. And that that was the, the train of thought. And yeah, like like you said, David, we have it now where if you, as a woman, if you start wearing like very masculine clothes, then they start giving you the side eye of like, why are you wearing masculine clothes? Why are you not wearing a skirt? Why are you not, why don't you put on makeup? Why mm. don't you shave your eyebrows? And I can go on and on. <laughs>
1: Uh, I also heard that the zoot suits made it easier for them to identify white-passing Latin Americans. So it was like, if you're white-passing, you know, we got to find another way to discriminate against you. And you're wearing this zoot suit, so, uh, you know, I, you know, I use that. Yep.
3: And if you look at, like, movies from the time, they even put it in stuff like that. Like, all the villains in the movies and the bad guys and the, the thugs and the, the criminals gangsters. and the gangsters, they were all wearing suits like this in this time. So it like puts the image in your brain, and yeah,
2: and it un- and it's un- still there. If you look at the other costumes when you go to Spirit Halloween and you go for the pimp costume, doesn't that look like it's a suit a, Zutsu, suit a little bit? one
1: hundred percent. Yeah, that's true.
0: Even after nearly 500,000 Hispanic and Americans served in World War II, the discrimination and harassment did not end. Nationalism that had fostered during the war shone through strongly in the following years. Segregation and Jim Crow ruled the day and included more than just black Americans. Mexicans, along with other, others of Latin descent, were segregated and barred from schools, businesses, and various organizations. The same redlining that kept blacks from living in particular neighborhoods also kept Latin Americans out of the same areas. And The social injustice was all in addition to sanctioned government oppression. The <laughs> late 1950s Supreme Court ruling of Hernandez v. Texas granted equal protections to Mexican Americans as well as other non-white groups. The case originated after Pete Hernandez was convicted of murder by an all-white jury in 1954 in a... County that had not seen a person of color in the jury box in twenty five years. But even as even as change gained momentum, the battle was only beginning.
1: There was also a section on there too about um, like uh, Latin American and Mexican American lynchings that were happening during that time, which I didn't put in here. But uh, you know, we we talk a lot about you know black people and the civil rights, and then and obviously that's needed to we need to talk about that. But a lot of people forget. All the other minority groups that were also being ostracized, that were also being segregated, that were also being lynched and unfairly tried and, and such.
0: A jury of your peers that have nothing in common with you. Exactly.
1: Jury of your peers if they're all white guys. <laughs> Before she found activism, though, Joan Baez found music. Her first instrument was a ukulele, and her first concert was at age 13 and it sealed her passion for music. Even though her parents believed that pursuing this career would lead to a life of drugs and debauchery, same, by age 18, (laughs) Joan was playing in bars and clubs up and down New England. At age 19, she landed her first record deal, and long before the world knew the superstar Madonna, the nickname was given to Joan Baez, who was often referred to as the Barefoot Madonna, Earth's Mother, and simply Madonna. Baez spoke about her nickname and the struggle of early success decades later. It was complicated... I was complicated by the image given to me. Zap, you're the Virgin Mary, the Madonna. I thought that was a terrific idea. In fact, I was sure I was, and I felt very benign and wonderful. Because up until then, I was 18. The only image I had of myself was of a dumb Mexican. I'd come from a place where Mexicans were called dumb peach eaters. Oh, sorry. Peach i come pickers. from a place where Mexicans were called dumb peach pickers. So I already had a big identity problem. I was just sorting things out, and all of a sudden, somebody said, Bingo, you're the Madonna of the of the achingly pure soprano. Well, who isn't going to opt for that if those are your choices?
2: That is, um, before we go on the other um, paragraph, that is very important because in these communities that were oppressed and marginalized by the white folks, because let's be real, um, they plant in the community this notion that you're not worth it. And slowly but surely it seeps in where it becomes to the point where you put yourself down because that's all you've heard all your life. And like she said, she only knew herself as a dumb Mexican because that's all the community was known for outside. And that was all the messaging that she got from anywhere. And it gets to the point where you start believing it. Even though when you're reading it years later, you're like, why would you think like, of yourself like that is because that oppression seeps in so much that you start believing it it's like an abusive relationship at some point you can't leave because you believe that what your oppressor told you that you're not worth it and that's what happens with these communities people wonder why they feel the way that they feel it's because of that years upon years and decades of that oppression of everybody around you telling you that you're not worth it eventually seeps in and As much as you fight it it's very difficult to overcome that kind of feeling
3: and she took a route to use her sexuality to to overcome this and i think that's something that we see in spanish culture throughout the years like um sorry spanish in like latin culture throughout the years is like there a lot of times latin people have had to use sexuality and Like, if you think about, like, the great uh, legend, like, Carmen Miranda, she was, like, risque for the time that she was popular, and she used her sexuality to, in in being a little risque, to overcome what the plan was for her, you know? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. I think, that, I think that sexuality has allowed a lot of people, especially people of color, to regain their power. We see that a lot of women, and we see that a lot in, in marginalized communities where people are, are able to use that to get some of their power back, and even though they're maligned for it, they still feel empowered.
3: I mean, look at the most popular song right now, WAP, Cardi <laughs> B and Megan Thee Stallion. Look at the way that they're using sexuality to take their power back, and and they're criticized for it, but everyone's watching. Mm -hmm. everyone's talking about it
2: yeah yeah, and that's that's the power that you have within yourself and it it is your own body so you start to express yourself through your own body and you break down the barriers of you must be modest and you must be like demure because that's what your oppressor is telling you so if you're trying Mm -hmm. to break those barriers of your oppressor then why not use your sexuality why not use your own body that's It's you, it's it's what's in you, and that's the weapon that you have to save your own self. And a lot of people do criticize this of like, oh, why are you being such a slut? Because I can, and because I want to, and because it's my body, my choice, my rules, and my choice is to use my sexuality to express myself.
1: Over the next decade, Joan would rise to national fame through the release of 14 records, her feature in the documentary Woodstock, and her first memoir, Daybreak. So in 10 years, she released 14 records. That's good. Most have considered Joan the most prolific folk singer of the 1960s, with 13 of her 14 albums landing on Billboard's Top 100 list. Yet the glitz and glam were tainted. Early in her career, Joan recognized the hypocrisy of racism when she was asked as a Latina to sing in a bar that only allowed whites, which I just, it's like whenever they had, um, what's her name? The the spy that Josephine did everything. Baker. Josephine Baker. Mm-hmm. And they're like, they bring Josephine Baker and they ask her to perform for this all-white clou- crowd, but they tell her she has to go through the back door and she's not even allowed to stay at the hotel that she's performing at. It's that kind of hypocrisy. It's that I want to hear you sing and I want to benefit from your music. I feel like my ears should have your music, but uh, your friends can't come. They can't listen. Right. Um, at a young age, she took a stance and turned down any venue that was segregated, but her, ac- but her activism went even further. Joan had heard Martin Luther King Jr. speak and was moved to tears by his words. A few years later, they would meet and become personal friends. In 1963, Baez performed the song We Shall Overcome during the defining march on Washington when MLK gave his I Have a Dream speech. I really messed up on this.
0: I wonder if she knew uh, Bayard Rustin. They were were all a group of just Quaker (laughs) activists. Quaker queers. should be a serial. Uh, Two years later, she joined her friend Dr. King and Selma to march for voting rights. Though her musical career was smashing one success after another, Joan's devotion to resistance and civil unrest slowly took precedence. In 1964, at 23, she co-founded the Institute for the Study of Nonviolence, which later morphed into the Resource Center for Nonviolence. Baez called for draft and tax resistance at her concerts. She was arrested twice for blocking recruitment centers and spent more than 30 days in jail at a time. In jail at a time? Okay. Um, Her outspoken critique of the Vietnam War caused the FBI to scrutinize and harass her, and they even launched a smear campaign that claimed Baez and King were having an affair. And I wonder if her parents hadn't converted to Quakerism, where would she have been during all of this?
1: Well, I mean, her father was... Well, her father was a mathematician. Her grandfather was a Methodist preacher. So um, I don't know, because I think that that's why her parents left, because she's born in 1941, and it was sometime in the 1940s that they left the Methodist-slash-England church, and I think the reason was they wanted to be more active, and at that time, the Quakers especially were very active. I don't know how active Quakers are today, but I know that in the 40s, 50s, 60s, they were a very active group. Mm Mm-hmm. It mean? Yep. By yeah. the 1970s, the girl nicknamed the Madonna had quite grown up. She was becoming disillusioned with the music industry, particularly those who sung about activism, but never had the courage to go to the front lines. Those such as her own flame, Bob Dylan. The two had a long and tumultuous relationship that spanned decades, but seemed mostly connected by their love of music. It was David Harris who captured Joan's activist heart. Harris and Bias had both been arrested while protesting army recruitment. After their release, they moved into an anti-draft commune and in 1968, the couple was married. Just one year later, Joan was pregnant and Dave was arrested for resisting the draft. He spent 15 months in prison while Joan delivered their baby boy, Gabriel. Yet though they bonded over their activism, the couple eventually divorced in 1973. And I think also the part was just like Joan, just, you know, she was going around the world. I mean, I'm like, seriously, she's traveling the entire world. Um, doing her activism, fighting for human rights. Um, and she, you know, and I think there's like she loved being a mother, but she like her activism came first. It was like activism, music, and then being a mother, which is fine. i just like... I think that, you know, she never like after Harris, she dated Steve Jobs briefly, which was weird, something in the that, 80s. That is
2: weird. Yeah. I mean,
1: <laughs> especially because she was very much an anti-corporate capitalist, yeah. but he hadn't become the Steve Jobs mm-hmm. of today. Right. So she dated Steve Jobs briefly, but she, after Harris, she really didn't date a lot. Um she she didn't have another long-term relationship after that. Hmm. So
0: it was She yeah. just wanted to do her thing. Yeah. Um only a few months before her divorce Diverse. (laughs) Only a few months before her divorce was finalized, Joan had spent Christmas being bombed by American troops. The Christmas bombing of Hanoi... Hanoi? Hanoi. Hanoi, North Vietnam, happened while Joan was there trying to visit American prisoners of war. The 11-day bombing only strengthened her resolve against the Vietnam War, though Baez did take aim at Vietnam's human rights violations. Her work on worldwide human rights issues continued to expand in the 70s when she launched her own human rights group, Humanity... Humanitas International, Humanitas,
2: Humanitas. Humanitas? If I'm International. gonna pronounce it in Spanish, <laughs> Humanitas International.
1: There you go. And I think that's she. Cho- yeah, yeah.
0: This work became her main focus in the ensuing decades, though she continued to release several more records through through various labels after ending her 11-year contract with Vanguard Records in 1971. Over the next 20 years, Joan would tour the world, searching to help those in need, while periodically hosting a concert or releasing an album.
1: So the thing about Joan is um, like, so she's very big in the 60s, huge, probably the biggest folks like folk music star in in America and uh, one of the biggest in the world. Um, then in the 70s she becomes too much of an activist and I think also because she was a woman I think that played into it that she was too much of an activist it's like okay Joan settle down just keep singing for us and she kept she kept putting on like some concerts and she kept re- she released some more albums but it was just getting frustrating for her because everyone was basically like shut up and sing and she's like no this is my passion is helping people and and dedicating myself to human rights and people were just like, we're just not interested. So it's not that she ever faded from the scene of activism. It's that when you do the research on Joan Baez, there's like chunks and chunks of research on the 1960s and into like 1975. And then there's nothing between 1975 and 2010 where people are just like, and yeah, and then she did a couple of other things, da, 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 da. You know, and like I said, it just kind of plays into that idea of like, that's not what we think your role should be. And mm-hmm. and also that idea of what celebrities are supposed to do with their voice.
3: Exactly. Like, if you're an artist, you never have the... If you're a mainstream artist, you never have the power. Like, if you're doing what they don't want you to be doing, they're always going to find a way to shut you down.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the same happens to sports people as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the best example I can think that is modern is Colin Kaepernick, where he was ostracized from the NFL and from being a quarterback because he spoke out against the black violence that's happening in the world. It's the same narrative that has been happening all throughout this year. But like you said, he was doing it a few years back and everybody was like, you will not play again because you are
0: outside of your
2: line or your lane. Mm -hmm. And it's like, but you're human, and you can care, no matter what your talent and your profession is, you can care about other things. You can be a singer, a great soprano, like bias, but your heart is with the people, and your heart is to help people and, and bring human rights to everybody. So why do we have the need to squash that is something that is baffling.
3: And at the end of it, it's such a small gesture. Like, he took a knee. Mm-hmm. Like, right. It's such. It's really n- has nothing to do with the game. It, it was a small gesture and it was a, a bold statement. And to see the backlash that he faced for something so, if you really, for taking a knee, mm-hmm. the backlash that he faced for that is ridiculous. And then you got a company today like Nike who's taking him and putting him, they uh, just released a special shirt with his number on it um, and he's being embraced, but he wasn't. He's only right. being embraced now because that's the narrative in the media and it's okay now.
2: Yeah, it's safe now to embrace him, mm-hmm. but it wasn't safe to embrace him five years ago or however no, long it's been. remember when people
0: were burning their Nikes? when he, Oh, like yeah. at first
1: when, they, when Nike first signed him. Also remember that he still doesn't have a team. I was just like, going to say that's that. His, that's his job is to be a quarterback. And like he's making good endorsements, but he doesn't have a team that he plays for because they're still like... Well, we have to back off a little bit, but we're not going to let you win.
2: Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. You you will never play again, and that is true. No one has brought him back as a quarterback, as any position in the NFL. He was completely ostracized from the NFL, and he will not be back in the field, sadly, because Mm -hmm. of his activism. Mm -hmm. And that happens to many other artists that that also become activists. The list is endless of people that have stood out for injustice and have paid the price with their life with their life livelihood and with their reputation because people don't like it, yeah yeah.
1: Uh, Jones fight for the LGBTQ plus marched alongside her fight for all human rights in 1978. She hosted benefits to raise awareness and funding to fight for the Briggs to fight against the Briggs initiative. That was a California bill aimed at preventing LGB people from working in public schools. Transgender people were not on the narrative yet. Uh, The same year, Bias took part in protests over the assassination of gay politician Harvey Milk. She also took part in the 1985 Live Aid event that raised funds and awareness about the AIDS crisis. And we covered that uh, kind of extensively in our Freddie Mercury episode. Mm -hmm. And though her sexual orientation has often been overshadowed by her music and civil rights activism, Joan first identified as a bisexual more than 45 years ago. Someone asked her once if Bias coming out explained her strong lesbian fan base, to which Joan commented... Is that what it is? But they were there before that too. She does. She has a very. <laughs> there was another one where she's like, there was this nice guy that wanted to meet me, but my manager told him, "Oh, sorry, she's stuck in the back with twenty five lesbians." So uh, I don't know. She's oh, always the sass!
2: Been... <laughs> I love <laughs> I the sass, right?
1: Exactly. So yeah, she. But she. Uh, yeah, she's always had a very strong LGBTQ um, fan base, and I don't know if it's because she identified as bisexual or just. The folk, I don't know, it's like the folklore type thing. I don't know. Um, Also, you know, Taylor Swift, this plays into my whole um, conspiracy that Taylor Swift is actually bisexual. I know she's not coming out, but her her most recent, um, what is it? Her most recent album, Folklore. It's got a lot, it's got a lot of queer vibes. Anyways.
0: (laughs) Throughout the years, Joan continued to remain an icon of her time, though she faded from the spotlight. However, her activism never slowed down. Over the last few decades, Joan had, has traveled from China to Argentina and more to fight for huma- humanitarian rights. At age 79, she continues to stand for justice and truth, calling out the issues of the day. As late as 2011, she was still performing for political protest concerts when she uh, when she performed at Occupy Wall Street. And as recently as 2019, she's been classified as a rebel for championing, championing the Catalan independence movement in Spain. Catalan. The Catalan independence (laughs) movement in Spain. (laughs) The Catalan. This is why I was saying about the (laughs) why I'm I'm like, the white people are just going to ruin it, so don't. (laughs) (laughs) For more than 60 years, Joan Baez has continued to put everyone first and serve as an icon for Latin America and LGBTQ plus folk everywhere.
1: And your recommended resource are Daybreak by Joan Baez. She's written a couple of memoirs, but that's the one that catalogs the first decade of her activism and it, it, it explains a lot of her positions on things. Or you can check out some of her music on Spotify, such as Diamonds and Rust, or the album Gracias a la Vida. Did I do good?
2: Gracias a la vida. (laughs) Yep, (laughs) you got it right.
1: (laughs) There is also a documentary called Joan Baez on YouTube that we have linked in our script. There's a couple of them, but I linked one that I feel like is is pretty good. But there's a bunch of stuff on Joan Baez on uh, YouTube. You can hear her talk as well.
2: You know, this is why we need queer history in our schools. Mm -hmm. This is, and I'm very ashamed to admit this, the first time I've ever heard of her. So... Why is that? Why are these icons not being talked about in school? But we need to know about every detail of the life of Christopher stupid Columbus. Uh, So (laughs) it's, it's just like, it's backwards. We need to learn about these folks that were and are, because she's still around, that are icons of civil rights. And they fought and continue to fight for our rights. And have the best interests of humanity at heart and it is so important to learn about these people and we're learning what people have really done not deserve it mm-hmm. it's, it's so annoying well it's <laughs> yeah it's it's not going to get better with trump's new commission on patriotic what is patriotic it education. patriotic
1: education you
2: Fucking cannot see hell. me rolling my eyes but i am oh, rolling Jesus.
1: my eyes can't wait to see what is kind of nationalist horseshit
0: that's gonna be <laughs> it's gonna be bad <laughs> But that that gonna, note, the but United States note. has always been here. We were a country founded right after Jesus woke up in um, Minnesota. And uh, Jesus is white, by the way. Yeah, uh, white Jesus, white
1: Republican is- Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Um, but yeah. Have any closing thoughts?
3: I just my only closing thought is how. Do, I mean, if you support Trump, your reading comprehension cannot be very high if you're a religious person. Because if you've actually read the Bible and you've listened to anything Trump has ever said on live television, it pretty much is the exact opposite of everything that it tells you in the Bible.
1: (laughs) Um, It's interesting that you say that because this week on his radio show, my stepfather gave his wholehearted support to um, Trump and Pence in his endorsement to Trump and Pence. And he told his listeners, um, Uh, And this is all sent to me by my siblings. I don't talk to him, but he said, he told his listeners, look, if you're discouraged by what the president says, I encourage you to look past his words and look at his actions. I'm like, okay, Dan. So basically, he just told people to stick their head back up their ass.
0: Yeah, basically, that's well, that's all religion. Yeah. That's all. Well, the... if I
2: look at his actions, I I am still not voting for <laughs> him. Still not good. May are you we remind about? you the throwing of paper towels to <laughs> my people? Yes.
3: What do you mean? He's giving hysterectomies to people for free? Uh,
2: oh my goodness! He... <laughs>
3: that's that's the free healthcare we've been waiting
2: for. <laughs> oh, oh <God>. Jesus! Oh, <laughs> oh Lord! Okay.
0: Ah. So we, gotta, we gotta wrap it up now uh,
1: But uh, Vima will be with us Again next week and so will David As we uh, wrap up we will be talking uh, Specifically about Puerto Rico and Walter Mercado next week So yes
0: yeah. I feel like we all should have came in like costume oh, God. I feel like we did him a disservice I, I
3: actually was gonna
0: mention that Like we need the cape I need
2: to go get my cape I'll <laughs>
0: just get a sheet and like wrap it around us There we go <laughs> I'll bring all the right. makeup <laughs> You want to do the sign off, Vima? I start it? Oh, sure.
2: Just say stay queer. That's <laughs> stay queer, my friends. Don't get a lobotomy.
1: We love you, our little succulent sapphis. Wait, did I throw it off already? I think stay so. Don't get a lobotomy. We love you, our little. What?
0: And our allied hookers. I don't know. Now I'm confused. We <laughs>
1: I screw it all up apparently. It's not your fault. It's it's our fault. We move, So stay queer. do lobotomy. We
0: love your little odd hookers. And our succulent sapphists. Resist the oppressors, our proud homocrats. And
1: have yourself a sodomy circus. <laughs>
0: or don't.
2: And, and be Lives bisexual. Huh? And be bisexual. <laughs> and Black Lives Matter. <laughs> and
1: have a happy uh, bisexual visibility day today and every day.
3: Can we go back to the part about the circus? that's later that's later when we
0: get home (laughs) bye Bye. thanks for
1: listening remember to subscribe and review wherever you are listening and follow us on social media at your queer story
0: like what you heard want to share your story send us a voice message to add to the podcast from the anchor app or at anchor.fm slash your queer story
1: And if you would like to support the work we do or get exclusive content, check us out on patreon.com slash yourqueerstory.
0: See you next week. Bye. Bye.